Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to find ourselves in this encounter. God, to ask ourselves the question, What does this have to do with me? It's the word of God, so it has a lot to do with everyone who hears it. And everyone who hears and puts it into practice will be blessed. Help that to be our destiny today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I saw something this past week on Facebook making its rounds. Uh, Maybe you saw it too. Just a a delightful, heartwarming little 30-second clip of a little baby who was born with some pretty serious hearing uh, impairment, um, was fitted with some devices, and he is videoed uh, hearing his parents' voices for the very first time in the expression. I've got it. It's only 30 seconds, but uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. Little baby archer. You can hear us, huh? You can hear us. We love that. We're so excited. (laughs) There's my big buddy. There's my big buddy. (laughs) Sweet baby. Aren't you? (laughs) This is the coolest day ever. There's my boy. Oh, man, heartwarming. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Well, there's quite a few of these kinds of uh, videos out there, depending on the type and the cause of uh, hearing loss or even blindness. Modern technology can help in significant ways. It's just awesome and heartwarming to see their reaction when they can first see and first hear. It just makes you want to cry Uh, Tears of joy. Now, sometimes uh, we take hearing for granted. Can you imagine living in a world that's silent, not hearing the voice of a loved one, the ocean waves crashing on the shore, the birds singing, a symphony, just silence. A lot of people, millions of people live with those kinds of impairments. In fact, uh, Donna, a sister in the Lord, who goes to first service now, and she's uh, got an, uh, a sign language interpreter uh, with her. She was here first service. I heard a little bit of her story. I think I'm going to weave it in during this message because we're headed to the miracle of a man who was born deaf without the ability to speak until He meets the Son of God. You know, I'd like to say, as a preface, 
What a beautiful day it will be when we stand in the presence of our maker. And that day is coming soon, whether you run out of days or he runs out of patience, as it were, and of peers. We will be clothed with the imperishable, as it says. The, the, that which is perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And in that day, my friend, all, you, all of our impairments, all of the thorns in the side and the flesh, all of the crosses you bear, and you bear crosses, they'll be a thing of the past because there'll be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death, none of that. The curse will be reversed, the earth will be renewed, and you will have a body as glorious as his own body, Philippians chapter 3. And so that's a nice hope to have in our hearts for we who believe in the Lord. Now here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is ministering outside the boundaries of Israel proper. There's a reason for that. And a man will hear uh, not his parents for the very first time, but he will hear for the very first time, the voice of his Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so as amazing as it is that a man could be born deaf and not be able to speak, that suddenly in a split second to be able to do so, how profound and amazing is that? Oh, there's something more profound, more amazing that this story will illustrate. And it involves you, the gospel and what it means to be saved. Let's take a look. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. See, so he's outside of Israel proper, South Lebanon and modern-day Jordan. Verse 32, there are some people there, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, And they begged him to place his hand on the man after he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened a command. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. They said, he even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And that's going to be our reflection this morning. We'll just keep it up there. You'll follow along with me as I walk through this scripture looking for uh, insights. And there are many and encouragements along the way. First, let me just say that the Old Testament alerted the Jewish people and said, you won't have to wonder when the Messiah is among you because the following things will happen. Blind people will see, deaf people will hear, and those who are mute will, will speak. The lame 
will walk. So the Jews and Israel, Israelites, they knew. They knew what was happening. When these things were happening, they were saying, well, this surely is the Messiah, because who could, who could possibly do that except he be the God-man? And as they called him in their own scriptures, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those were Old Testament titles of the Messiah who they knew had to be born of a woman, but now conceived of the Holy Spirit makes him the God-man and only the God-man can lay his hand on a man born deaf and have him here. And so we're going to take a look at this delightful story now. At first, it starts out with Jesus uh, getting into place. So if you're taking notes, Jesus gets into place. And this is a big deal because the geographical coordinates are given, and they're given for a reason, and commentators uh, notice that well. Let me give you a map so I can just show you what's going on. Now, Israel proper, so really from Galilee, they've been given uh, the whole land, but they only possess a little bit of it here and now. But from Galilee down to Idumea, right, is Israel proper. Now, Jesus has been busy ministering there, but now, as you saw last week, and your scripture tells you he's leaving Tyre, and he's going to go to Sidon, and then he's going to the the Decapolis, where, of course, there are a lot of Gentiles. Remember the 2,000 swine? Right? They're from that region. A lot of Gentiles, a a lot of non-Jews live in this area, and Jesus is doing this to prepare, by example, for the future church to know the heart of God wasn't just for the Jews and for Israel, but he would create a people from Israel. He would put his spirit in them on the day of Pentecost and say, now go get the whole world. From The gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the utmost part of the world. So says the Great Commission. So he has to show them. And, and who were sitting when he's telling them, don't leave the upper room until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do the task of saving the world? Who are they all? They're Jews. Every last 120 of them are Jews sitting in the upper room. Who are the 3,000 who, who, who get saved on Pentecost Sunday? They're all Jews. And to those Jewish Christians, they're the first Christians. They're all Jews. He's going to tell them, now go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the entire world. So what is Jesus doing here? By going outside of Israel proper to a, a region called Phoenicia, which was Lebanon, right? So he's ministering to a Canaanite woman last week in Tyre. A Canaanite woman, through her faith, is going to become not a Canaanite, an enemy of God, but a child of God, who's going to get what the the children of God get, the blessing of having her prayer answered about her demonized daughter. And so now the scriptures tell you, and, and this is why Jesus is outside of Israel, because he said in Isaiah 49 and verse 6, Israel... I've called you to be a light to the nations that my salvation would be brought to the ends of the world. So Jesus is just kind of preparing the way so when the Great Commission comes at the end, 
they'll say, well, remember the Canaanite and the, the, the Kabbalists and the deaf man and everybody else he's going to heal there? They'll, he's laying the foundation. Now, he, he travels in such a, a strange way. So let me show you what the commentators have problem with. They have a problem because it says Jesus leaves Tyre and he's going to Decapolis by way of Sidon. So pages in commentaries. What's up with this? Why is he going the hard way? Why is he going over here? Why is he zigzagging here? It doesn't make any sense. It does make perfect sense if the son of God's mission was to seek and save the lost He's zigging and zagging, and he's looking for that one sheep that goes wandering astray. He says in Luke 15, if any of you have a hundred sheep, one goes missing, don't you leave the 99 in good hands? And then you go off, and you look, and you zigzag all over the whole countryside until you find that one precious, lost, foolish, wandering lamb of yours and then when you find it you get so happy you throw that lost dummy over the back <laughs> of your come on you, I told you we see ourselves in the scriptures right put him on the shoulders and he comes back and he says friend of mine come and let's celebrate the sheep that I was missing and longing for has been found come celebrate and so he's zigging and zagging around. Let me show you a picture just of his Galilee ministry with what I'm talking about. All right, so commentators say they don't, you can't even find a map for the three years. You can't find a map because it just looks like a bowl of spaghetti. That's all it looks like. I mean, it just is all over the place. And commentators are saying, I don't really know why he would go to Decapolis. I mean, no one called me and asked me. But I could have told him and cleared it up for him. <laughs> There's somebody who has a divine appointment inside him. Here's what he's saying. The scripture says, and it's exactly to the comparison of the mileage and direction. It would be like somebody saying, I want to go to San Francisco from Santa Rosa by way of Cloverdale. <laughs> so commentators go, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that Jesus, who is seeking and saving the lost, has a lost lamb all the way up a little more north Lebanon than south Lebanon. So he goes up there and he zigzags all over this world. He's got to be in time to save some dude stuck up in a tree named Zacchaeus. He has to be there on time. People's lives don't unravel and they don't get sensitive to the gospel in neat little tiny boxes and categories. He's all over the place. He's by bedtime prayers when you're three years old. And he zigzags out to where? For me, I was literally, as you know, in a nightclub when the voice of the Lord asked me, why are you going to hell when you don't have to? I almost had a nervous breakdown right there. I was minding my own business, <laughs> trying to stay alive, stay alive in a disco. <laughs> and the Lord was like, you're not staying alive that way. I walked out of the bar, a born-again Christian with a born-again Christian brother as well because somebody, the good shepherd, zigged and zagged into a 1979 discotheque 
What's he doing in there? What's he doing inside him? What's he doing in Jericho? What's he doing at the tax collector's office with Matthew? What's he doing on death row with the woman caught in adultery? He's zigging and zagging and going over and he's trying to do what he came to do to seek and save the lost. So, you know what? When there's a sentence in there that goes, what? Why would Jesus do that? There's an answer. There's an answer and it usually involves somebody's soul. Where were you when he zigged your way? Think about it. Oh, he comes calling. Oh, he's got your address. He's got your telephone. He's got your email. He's got the whole nine yards and he comes calling. And so let's dig in here. Jesus gets himself into position and then gets the man into position as well. You may think you just misheard me by me saying that Jesus or God gets the man into position because in your text it says some people came calling with our deaf brother in tow, right? Well, the family secret is, is that we can do nothing. We cannot come to Jesus unless the Father draws us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father initiates and woos and draws. So we like to run around and say, hey, I found the Lord. Ah, I think biblically the good shepherd found you. And uh, he doesn't mind that we like to take a little credit for it. Uh, But even his kindness leads us to repentance. You can't even feel sorry about your sin by yourself. He needs to, in kindness, give you a gift so that you'll feel sorry and guilty about it and turn to him. It's a kindness. This is love, not that we first loved God. You didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to find the Lord. I want to escape hell. He woke up one day and said, you, come here. And he gets you close enough to Jesus to where your faith is involved. And that man is going to have to understand what Jesus' intent is so that he can be healed. And that's part of what's going on here with some of the actions that we see going on. And so God is at work. He he, He uses... These uh, uh, wonderful men, these good-hearted friends who kind of lead this brother who can't hear, they can't explain to him, hey, we've got the Messiah is here, and he can heal people like you. He, they can't say that eloquently. They can make gestures, but they're going to lead him uh, to Jesus and then plead to Jesus in your text. He plead, they plead. So they get the guy. Do you know anybody who you talk to? And it's like they're deaf when you say, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. Hey, I used to be like this. And now I'm like that. Explain that. And they look absolutely like they didn't hear a word. Deaf. And you'll start quoting a scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever just believe in him won't perish forever, eternally separated from God. Boom, nothing, nothing. Do you have a friend like that? Well, God says you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of this world. Use your efforts and your energies and your prayers to, to get them in close proximity to a savior who can open them, open their ears, open their eyes and unchain their hearts, right? 
That's what they do. They are leading and pleading. The word pleading there. I mean, do you, the only people that I tend to beg God for is people who are near and dear to me. I mean, there is a discipline of uh, interceding with great emotion for those you don't know. That's for really spiritually mature people. But these are good friends. They beg him. And the word for the begging here is the word parakaleo, which is the name of the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside and plead or to uphold or to encourage, but it means to, the word itself, beg there, means to come alongside. So you're coming alongside the person and the Lord and you're trying to bring them together. That's what they're doing. That's your job. He says he calls us a kingdom of priests and all that word priest means is helping bring people near to God. That's all that word means. You can do that. You need to be doing that in your own way, not as a pastor, not necessarily not as an evangelist, but in the way that only you can do it. So keep leading, keep pleading. Back to the story. Now, Jesus is in position, and the deaf man is brought near by the grace of God and some really good friends, and Jesus is locking on target. He gets to work now. Please notice a few things. Let me just say this. When Jesus does anything, he could just bat an eye. He could just think the thought, and it'd be done. But in many different healings, he does various things to teach, to instruct to help us understand what it means to be saved, what it means to be reconciled to him. He's not doing things just to do them. There's a reason behind everything he's doing, and we're we're taking a, a look at that. So notice the first thing. In this case, he takes him aside, your verse 33, away from the crowd. This is so important. The call to become a Christian is not y'all. It's You, right there, the maker who made you, Jesus Christ. By him all things were made. That would include you, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He gets alone, he pulls you out, and he gets you alone, your soul and the one who made him, and he wants to know from you. Here's the gospel. I died in your place. You're in jeopardy. Do you want me? That's what he does. It's not about your wife or what will your husband think or what will my boss or my coworkers or my my bridge club or my yoga ladies. (laughs) I don't have yoga ladies myself. (laughs) It just came to mind. Or Or the people at the golf course or whatever. You see, people think that you could be in a stadium, my friend, and God Almighty takes your soul, grabs it. We all know this. Every Christian's nodding their head, and he just kind of pulls you and me. I've got a message for you, and I need you to respond. A Jewish young man told me, hey, I I just responded. I I believe, but I can't tell my parents, and I can't. I said, well, you know, it's you and your maker. He gets you alone. 
pulls you out of that. And guess what the word church means in the Greek? To be called out of your home and gathered to a new assembly. That's what the word means. That's who you are. He got you alone. He took you out of your home, your, your, your associations. He got one-on-one with you. That's what it has to be. Stop thinking it's me and my friends and I'm part of this and even your religion. <laughs> You're Islam. Or Buddhist. He gets with the soul. He separates you out. He says, you, 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 you. Okay, good. (laughs) You come with me. Or you refuse me, right? So let's see what else he does. Now he gets up close and personal. And unless Jesus gets up close and personal with you, there's no hope. And boy, nothing says up close and personal like putting your fingers in some guy's ears. (laughs) And then spitting. And then touching his tongue. Now... Uh, now, we got to talk about this, don't we? <laughs> Last night, my wife asked me, how's it going? What's the sermon about? And I said, oh, Jesus spits in some guy's mouth. <laughs> I got to explain and make sense of that. And she said, good luck with that. <laughs> no, no, she didn't. Yeah, no, it makes sense. In fact, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let me talk to you about it. So he takes him aside, he looks in the eyes, and, and he's got to make his intentions known. Now, so part of this is sign language. Part of this is saying, uh, the guy doesn't know what is going on, you know, and who's this guy? And he can't hear anything. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'll do a little sign language. This is about your ears, and this is about open up. This is about the broken tongue. <laughs> And he puts his finger on the problem. Let me just tell you, first beautiful application. That's you, that's me. Jesus is called the great physician. He comes and he puts his finger right on the impediment to your faith. What it is that's stopping you from being a fatma opened up to life. He knows who you are. He knows where your stumbling blocks are. He knows your Achilles heel. He knows all that. And he comes calling and he puts his finger right on it. He's just like a doctor. Does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? Does it hurt? How about here? Ah! Jesus doesn't need the first two. He just goes straight to the problem. I'm on to you, sir. I know how you were born. I know the anguish. I know the problem. And I'm about to fix it. Are you with me? He needs the with me. He needs to detect the pulse of faith, even if it be a mustard seed in his heart. But Jesus is not going to open anybody who doesn't want to be opened. He's a perfect gentleman. You get to say no. So Jesus is asking. He's saying, the ears? The ears are giving you a little trouble? Can't do much talking? Is it the tongue? And now he's stirred up. Oh, oh, he's communicated to him. And now he's going to have enough faith. Now, listen, you know, where do you put the finger with, on you? What problem? Sexuality? He'll come right in there. This is your problem. The rich young ruler. He said, hey, let me put my finger right on your problem. Coveting and greed. That's what he said to him. 
He puts his finger on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the pride, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the loneliness. He puts his finger there. Now, what about the spit? Well, where did he spit? Well, was it on his finger then he touched? Or, or did he just spit on the tongue? The commentators say we don't know because he has spat. He will spit in Mark chapter 8 with no finger and no ground, no mud. That's another story. He will take the head of a man born blind and he will spit in both eyes and the man sees. So what is the Lord trying to say by something of his essence, his flow from his body that will make whole that which became broken because of sin and the fall? You're starting to track with me now. One writer put it this way. Hang with me. This is going to become clear. One writer said, it's true in using spittle, Jesus may be signaling the deaf man who can't hear him, obviously, that Jesus intends on healing him. Granted, to the ancients, saliva was believed to have medicinal properties, and so seeing what Jesus was about and doing could kindle the man's faith. But moreover, could it be that our Savior's making a larger spiritual point that man's suffering is his own doing, that the gospel is offensive and unattractive and in some ways repulsive to natural man, as repulsive as being spit upon. Jesus comes to save those who are sinful, rebellious, guilty, deserving God's wrath, proud, helpless, hopeless, with Hearts that are deceitful above all things. First he spits. It's unattractive. It's unappealing to hear those kinds of things. But if you can tolerate the spittle, the truth, harsh as it is, spoken in love, then he's saving you. If you turn and walk away, disgusted and offended, you walk away with your deafness intact and your destiny imperiled. I really like this idea. He's got to tell the guy some bad news and he has to tell you some bad news. He told me some bad news. You are a loser, Reinman. You, 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 you're going straight to hell. You've been wrong your whole life. That's, that's offensive to me. I don't know if you were uh, all ears to hear somebody say, you have it all wrong. You think life's all about you? It's not all about you. You're self-centered, rude, arrogant. You lie all the time. You need to be saved. That's spittle. That is spittle. And there are a lot of people who won't be in heaven because they couldn't handle the truth and the offense of the spittle of God that could heal and could open. Because if God doesn't offend you in that way and you don't receive it and welcome it and go with it, you will never be, you'll never hear. Your eyes will never open. You gotta take those things. And then he comes around with beautiful words of love and worth and value. 
and joy and preciousness of his children. But now, you can't cure a guy of cancer without telling him he has cancer, right? It's just to say, hey, we're going to give you a little chemotherapy. You know, you got to maybe have the flu or something. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. Jesus has to be straight up. So he lets us have it in the right way. And our brother was like the psalmist who said, let a righteous man slap me. Let him rebuke me and strike me on the head. I'll consider it a kindness. And because he was more like a godly man, like a faith-filled man, he's able to have God say to him, open. He's one of us. Now watch Jesus here. His every move is speaking. Jesus looks up, and what is he saying? He's saying, your problem, your problem, you can't find the answer here. It's going to come from heaven. We can ask uh, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, a 12-chapter journal on trying to find the answers to the ephatha, to openness, to joy, to contentment, to meaning, to purpose. He looked for the ephatha here under the sun. And Jesus knows this guy's looking, so he says, you know, I'm going to fix your problem. I'm about to fix your problem. So he looks up to tell the guy. It comes from heaven alone. Stop looking for the answers to life and for the openness to your joy and contentment and meaning and purpose here. You're not going to find it. He says it's in one place. It's up above. And what did Jesus say? He said, I have come down from heaven. He's the God man. And he lets this man know and every man know. You want to hear? You want to live? You want to see? You want to know the truth? You want a tongue that can actually work? Build people up? Tell the truth? Sing praise? Then you have to look to God. You're not going to find it on earth. And then Jesus sighs. The word in the Greek, stenanzo, it means to groan. Warren Wearsby said the sigh was an inward groan. Our Lord's compassionate response to the pain and sorrow sin has brought into the world. It's the same word associated with Romans chapter 8 where it says all of creation under the curse groans in futility. And we, God's people, groan because we're not complete. We're not all that we should be or will be that we groan and the Holy Spirit groans and helps us with prayers. It's the same word. So what is Jesus groaning about? That came from his heart. He's not trying to put on any show, but the Son of God is groans because he knows something. He knows that it's going to take a little bit more than a little of his spit. He looks up and you expect him to say, and the language sets you up. He looks up to heaven, breaks the bread, and gives thanks to God. It's very much like the Eucharist language. But he looks up instead, spits bodily fluid that's going to heal, and he groans because it's not going to be a little spit from the Lord. But the blood from God to touch his tongue, to open his ears, to give him life. Not gonna be a little spit. It's more than spit coming out. 
It's not a fountain of spit. It's a fountain of blood. Oh, it's starting to make sense. What else could tame the tongue and change your heart? Come on, let me show you what James says about your tongue. The tongue that it, you have is in worse shape than the tongue that he had because at least he couldn't even defile his tongue the way we get to do it. Then Jesus, oh, sorry, James chapter 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, Bible speaking, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise God, and with it, we curse human beings. We gossip about them, slander them, tear them to shreds who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praising and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should it be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? It's not going to be the spittle of God that is going to revolutionize and make a tongue be able to, to not be profane, but to praise and to uplift and to, to be able to stop speaking what's wrong, and to be loosed. That's what fatha means also. Not just opened, it means unchained. He's looking ahead to the spittle, but to the blood, and he groans. We are born deaf. And he has to come to us with more than spittle, let me read you a quick story about a, a, woman, uh, a man's testimony. His name's Kel Mork. He's a teenager, was a teenager in Norway. He was riding his bike. He said, I'm riding my bike, visiting my friends after school. I was a young teenage boy. Racing downhill, the sun was in my eyes. And sadly, I slammed into a parked truck fractured my skull and woke up from a coma in a world that had gone silent. Sang in the choir, I played the tuba, but now I was deaf. And some say that's tragic, but I say something different. I was a Norwegian, a good Lutheran, from a good Lutheran family, but Jesus was a complete and total stranger to me, and I was on my way to perishing. I certainly would have perished for all of eternity, but God used my deafness to get my attention. And, though, and through the care and concern of Christian friends, God drew me to himself. God closed my ears so that he could open my heart. He's a pastor of deaf congregations in Europe. This morning, I went over and I talked to Donna about the service. She was three years old when she became completely deaf. 
She was fitted with all kinds of things that didn't work. So she went to Las Vegas. She was really mad at God. And she, in her testimony, said, a woman came up to me, invited me to a prayer meeting. And I went to that prayer meeting, and Christians laid hands on me, and they were praying and praying and praying. And for one second, my ears opened, and I heard as clear as a bell the name Jesus over and over again for a couple seconds, she said. And my ears closed. The next day, she's like, I heard, I heard with my ears, who is this Jesus? And somebody led her to the Lord and she said, it was worth the deafness to this day that God would open my ears to hear one word, the name of Jesus. And I gave my heart to him and never turned back and never became resentful about the beautiful lot that I have in serving God as a deaf woman. She said, it's enriched me and brought me close to the Lord because he closed my ears to open them to him. You see, but that's us. Oh, how tragic is it to have two good working ears like there are several sitting here or listening who have two fine ears that are going to walk out of here completely 100% deaf because they didn't combine what they were hearing with faith and they heard him pull them aside, look in their face, put the finger where it counted and only they know that and said, this, my friend, got to spit out, said something they didn't want to hear, and then they choose to say no and remain closed. He can't command you to be opened if you, by your free will, want to remain closed. He's a perfect gentleman that way, you see. Do not do not. It's the wrong time in world history for you to go around deaf and blind and unable to speak. Amen? Amen. I don't recommend it ever, but today would be a really sad day to do that in. Man, you need to be having ears that can hear. Jesus says all throughout the Gospels, you got ears? Please use them. He says that over and over to him who has ears. Let him use them. So God comes to deaf ears, says, You want to open? You want to open? Be opened. And then we either in faith say, open me. Or we remain closed. And so that's what's going on here. So just beautiful here. Um, One more page. Here's what Jesus is doing. Here's who we are. All the list of ailments and anomalies that Jesus heals has spiritual application, my friend. Yes, he wanted to to prove that he had the uh, power to follow up his claims. I can keep you from dying and give you eternal life. So, So watch what I can do. Yes, 
And secondly, he wanted to relieve people's suffering. Yeah. But thirdly, he wanted to teach something greater because he's going to tell his disciples in John 14, oh, greater things you'll do. What's greater than this? Well, here's what he's saying. The gospel gives you all of this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, though you are a sinner like a leper, used to be white as snow. The defilement of sin Jesus died for and gives us uh, relief over the, 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 the power of sin, uh, the penalty of sin, and the, ultimately the presence of sin. Blindness. Who is blind like an unbeliever who doesn't have the, the source of life? God, right? Who's deaf? Mute, lame, fever, burning passions, lust, screeds, envy. It all correlates demon possession under the power of evil. Death. Boy, poor Lazarus. He had to die twice, man. (laughs) He had to die twice. It just kind of resuscitated, of course. He was not resurrected to never die again. You see, so Jesus says, greater things. I didn't come to have a ministry for disabled people. That's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is using the healing of disabled people to speak to the larger point, which is he came to save the soul. And by saying yes to Christ, you get all of that. You're able to be the person God wants you to be. You're able to make it to heaven. You have the strength and ability. You have uh, eternal life. The fevers are put out and dealt with, you see. So this is what's happening here. The deaf man is you and me. And he opens up because Jesus commands him to in faith. Of course, why did, you know, people are amazed. And uh, here's what they're really saying. Everything he does is wonderful. That's the translation. It's just saying there's nothing he can't do. He can make deaf people hear and mute, speak, Nothing beyond his ability, so they're amazed. Now, why does Jesus admonish them? Shh, be quiet about this. Don't, don't spread it around so much. In Mark chapter 1, he said the same thing, and then we find out why he says it. It's very practical. He cleansed the leper. The le- he, said, he told the leper, see to it that you keep this kind of quiet. Go to Jerusalem. Offer sacrifice there. Follow the commands of the Bible. Instead, he went out and spoke freely. And here's what the text says. He went out speaking freely. As a result, Bible speaking, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but had to stay in remote places. So it's very practical. He's saying, I can't do what I want to do if I'm being crushed to death by masses and masses of people. So just kind of keep it quiet for now. Right? Well, now today, oh, He says, shout it from the housetops, people. You know, there's no reason not to tell anybody the good news. So uh, our takeaway here, Jesus comes into a world, uh, really, and with a shout, a command. Ephatha, be opened. And just because you say, oh, I was open 25 years ago, you know what? You can grow hard of hearing. You really can. I'm having a little trouble myself lately. I got a little tinnitus, a little ringing in my ears. I went to the doctor, and they're playing all these sounds, you know, like only dogs can hear, you know. (laughs) 
and it's the same sound as my tinnitus. So I can't tell. I just have to guess. And she's like, do you hear that? And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want to feel like, oh, yeah. And she came out, and there's a graph that goes like this. With a dip in it. She goes, well, you know, mild to moderate hearing loss in one of your ears. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> well, my wife has been telling me for years. <laughs> Listen, Christian, you get your little spells of deafness. You need to be opened. And how about that tongue of yours? It's been broken. It's been quiet when it should be talking. It should be loosed, and suddenly, what? The cat's got your tongue, something worse than that. So we take this, and we say, God, use whatever it takes. Your spittle on your finger, touch your tongue. Let the cross and the blood of Christ, the work that was affected for me on the cross, take place, not just in my mouth, not just in my ears, but in my heart, my life. And let from my heart just flow the goodness of God, the freedom, the joy, so that I can go to someone else and say to them, bring them to Jesus, so Jesus can say to them, be opened, amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love, that you love us so much, and Lord, that command costs you to be able to open our Mouth, you had to close yours and receive such terrible mocking and suffering. And in order to open our eyes, your eyes had to be swollen shut, beat, beaten beyond recognition. Lord, in, in order to clothe us with uh, your righteousness and cover up our shame, you, you had to be stripped and exposed. You're just the perfect sin bearer, God, and we thank you for it. And our salvation is free, but it costs you dearly. Help us to walk worthy and to be opened and loosed to do your will. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.